Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We have been reading in the book of Exodus. Now, last time we read Exodus chapter 33. And if you remember, at the end of that, Moses saw the back of God as he was passing by. And God said, then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And that was the end of Exodus chapter 33. Now we're ready to read Exodus chapter 34, and I am reading in the Amplified Bible. Then the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first. Remember Moses had broken the first ones. And I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you smashed when you learned of Israel's idolatry. So be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain, nor let flocks or herds feed in front of that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and he got up early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took the two tablets of stone in his hand. Then the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with Moses as he proclaimed the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, faithfulness, keeping mercy and loving kindness for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting, avenging the iniquity, sin, guilt of the fathers upon the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations, that is, calling the children to account for the sins of their fathers. Moses bowed to the earth immediately and worshipped the Lord. And he said, If now I have found favor and loving kindness in your sight, O Lord, let the Lord please go in our midst, though it is a stiff-necked, stubborn, rebellious people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your possession. I want to mention one thing here. The way this reads as if we are um, guilty or being punished for the sins of our fathers and our you know, previous our predecessors, that's really not exactly the way it is. Now, the, the wrongs we do do have long-lasting ramifications. Uh, we're all still living with the ramifications of Adam and Eve's sin. Sin can have long-lasting ramifications and, and cause us problems for years to come. And it can indeed be a problem, too, for your children as they see your example and they see the things you've done. And, you know, children tend to imitate their parents. So it's not unusual that the same issues keep going through families. It's hard to break those cycles. However, this reads as if you know, God is punishing people for the sins of their parents and things. And uh, that is not the way it is, especially for us in the New Testament. 
Again, I believe this is really referring more to those ramifications and the problems that you cause yourself. When he says, you know, choose this day, choose life or death, choose to follow me or not follow me, choose cursings or blessings. When you choose the wrong things, those decisions do have long lasting effects and it can affect your family for a long time. So, like I said, we're still living with the uh, effects of Adam and Eve's decision, which is, you know, which is unfortunate for us, but that is the way things are. But normally, in normal circumstances in our everyday life, I want to make sure I'm clear, in, in our everyday life, we are responsible for ourselves. Now, yes, some of the things we do can have adverse effects on others around us, and we need to be thoughtful of that, and we need to be compassionate to others and try not to cause such issues. But, you know, we need to be aware of that. But our sin is our own. That is something that we do. It can have effects on others, though. That's one thing we need to be aware of when we're doing wrong, when we do sinful things that can have effects on others around us. And I think that's part of the lesson here. But just the way it reads, reads a little too much like you would be punished for your parents' sins. And that's not really the way it works. We're each, there are other places you know, in the New Testament and in the, in the Bible where it says, you know, each person is responsible for their own sin. It's just those sins can have effects on those surrounding us and on our families, and it can cause problems for years to come. Okay, so I'm going to move on. I just wanted to state that and sort of clarify that because I, I didn't want to leave anyone with the wrong impression. Then God said, Behold, I am going to make a covenant. Before all your people, I will do wondrous works, miracles, such as have not been created or produced in all the earth, nor among any of the nations. And all the people among whom you live shall see the working of the Lord. For it is a fearful and awesome thing that I am going to do with you. Be sure to observe what I am commanding you this day. Behold, I am going to drive out the Amorite before you, and the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Watch yourself so that you do not make a covenant, any solemn agreement or treaty, with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, or it will become a dangerous trap among you. But you shall tear down and destroy their pagan altars, Smash in pieces their sacred pillars, their obelisks and images, and cut down their ashram. Now, there is a note for ashram. I want to see what that is. Ashram, this ashram is symbols of the mother goddess Asherah, usually a tree or pole dedicated to her and placed near uh, one of her shrines. So sometimes these notes are interesting because I didn't know what the, this was cut down their ashram, but it's to cut down their symbols of, of this goddess Asherah. And they say it's usually a tree or a pole, so you would cut that down. For you shall not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous, impassioned god, demanding what is rightfully and uniquely his. Otherwise, you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, 
and they would play the prostitute with their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and someone might invite you to eat his sacrifice, his meal, and you might take some of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters would play the prostitute with their gods and cause your sons also to play the prostitute or commit apostasy or, as we would say, really worship other gods, which is just, you know, that's really just basically blasphemy for God, you know, um, when you're worshiping an idol or a false god. That is sinful. That is wrong. And cause your sons also to play the prostitute or commit apostasy with their gods. That is, abandon the true God for man-made idols. So they mention it clearly here. You shall make for yourself no molten gods. In other words, no little statue gods like that golden calf or anything like that. On idols, anything we put in front of God, anything we make more important than God is an idol. If we put um, an interest of ours that, say, we enjoy doing something, and we put that in front of God. Now, I'm not saying you can't have these interests that are, there's nothing wrong with them. Like if you like to play sports, if you like fitness, if you like, uh, uh, well, if you like certain movies or video games, as long as they're good things, you know, as long as they're not anything bad, um, then you can, you can enjoy those. There's a lot of things. You can enjoy reading certain books and different things. There's a lot of things in life. You can enjoy nature, taking pictures, all those things. And there's nothing wrong with that unless you put these things in front of God. If you make them more important in your life than the Lord, then then you have a problem because you've created an idol of them and you've made them higher in your estimation, higher in your life, more important than God. So that's when it becomes a problem. You shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Passover. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, as I have commanded you, at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in the month of Abib you came out of Egypt. Now hopefully I'm saying that correctly, Abib, that's how it looks. All the firstborn males among your livestock belong to me, whether cattle or sheep. You shall redeem the firstborn of a donkey with a lamb, but if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. You shall redeem all the firstborn of your sons. None of you are to appear before me empty-handed. You shall work for six days, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even in plowing time and in harvest, you shall rest on the Sabbath. You shall observe and celebrate the Feast of Weeks, Harvest, first fruits, or Pentecost, the first fruits of the wheat harvest, and the Feast of Ingathering, Booths or Tabernacles, they call that the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, at the year's end. Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. For I will drive out and dispossess nations before you and enlarge your borders. Nor shall any man covet, actively seek for himself, your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times a year. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover, the unleavened bread, be left over until morning. You shall bring the very first of the first fruits of your ground to the house of the Lord your God, 
You shall not boil a young goat in his mother's milk, as some pagans do. Now again, we believe this was possibly a, a fertility rite, but it was definitely a pagan practice that some of the others did. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Moses was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He ate no bread and drank no water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Notice this is forty days and forty nights, and Jesus spent forty days in the wilderness also. Now, I know that's not exactly the same as saying on Mount Sinai, but he was in, he spent 40 days. God made a covenant with Moses for them here. And I think there's a, uh, I can't think of the right word for this, but I think there's a comparison here where, you know, Jesus brought us the new covenant. And notice that he spent 40 days in the wilderness. And I just think there's a, a comparison here, I can't think of the right exact word, to be made that then Jesus brought to us that new covenant, just like Moses is bringing this, this new covenant at that time to the Israelites. So it's just something to think about and just uh, an idea I have in my head that there's a, there's a similarity, there's a uh, comparison to be made, and I don't, it's not fully formed yet, but it's just an idea. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he did not know that the skin of his face was shining with a unique radiance because he had been speaking with God. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to approach him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites approached him, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had said to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. When he came out and he told the Israelites, what he had been commanded by God, the Israelites would see the face of Moses, how his skin shone with a unique radiance. So Moses put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with God. So this radiance from him speaking and being with the Lord in a, in a very close manner, in a face-to-face -face manner, he used this veil to just kind of cover up that shining because it scared them. I don't really have much else I can say about that other than that that is a unique experience as far as I can tell. I don't remember hearing of this anywhere else. Now, we may run into something later on in the Old Testament that maybe I've forgotten, but I don't remember anyone else having this exact experience. Now, we do have in the New Testament, we do have uh, the transfiguration of Jesus, and, and there's other things you might, you know, we have the light that Paul sees on the road to Damascus, which is the Lord. So we have some reference for that radiance, but not the same as Moses having this face-to-face, -face, 
meeting with God as a friend and having God instruct him and speak to him in that manner and being with him like that. Uh, Paul makes a reference to this, and they have a note here in uh, 2 Corinthians. He makes a reference to this, that we shall all be able to behold the glory of God with unveiled faces, you know, um, because we can, through the Lord Jesus, we can personally approach God like Moses did. We can personally do that. Now, for us, it is a spiritual thing. It's not a physical thing, but spiritually, we can approach God through Jesus, through our Lord. We can approach him and pray to him and talk to him personally, and he you know, will respond to us, and we can, we can have this relationship. Now, God's response to us is through his word, the Bible, but still we can have that relationship with God, and we can go and speak to him on a personal level. And I, I believe that he guides us and leads us through sometimes what we call our conscience, and sometimes... Um, kind of through the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to make it some sort of magical, mystical thing, because that's not what I mean. But I, I think through our conscience and through knowing the Bible and knowing His will and what is right and wrong, I think God reminds us of those things through the Holy Spirit and leads us and guides us that way. I don't, I don't think we hear like audible voices or anything like that. I'm not talking about anything strange. Um, but I'm saying in a very practical way, I believe the Holy Spirit communicates with our spirit. And that's kind of, I think of it as being kind of through our conscience, but it also has to do with reading our Bible, studying our Bible, and knowing what God's will is. And, and I'll tell you, in a, in a nutshell, his will is that he wants everyone saved, that he loves and cares about everyone if you just look at John 3, 16 and 17, you can plainly see this. And then later, Paul tells Timothy that, you know, of course, God wants everyone saved. He doesn't want anyone to not be saved. But the choice is ours. God didn't make us to be little robots. The choice is always ours. So I want to add in a little correction here. For um, the end of chapter 33, that's where Moses and God make the arrangement that God is going to show him his glory and pass in front of him. And then at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 34, that is where God actually carries out that plan and he passes in front of Moses and Moses sees that glory and that's why his face is shining. When I was going back through listening to this, I wasn't sure I really made that very clear. So I wanted to make sure that was clear. The glory, seeing the glory of God the way Moses did, that is what caused his face to shine. Now, it may have continued for years. I'm not sure how long that continued. It may have continued for some time because he was always meeting with the Lord and always meeting with him in a face-to-face like manner where the Lord would come down in the cloud and speak with him. So it's just something to be aware of. But I wanted to make sure I was clear. I didn't want to leave anything uh, in an unclear m- manner, and I wasn't sure that I had really stated that in the best way earlier, so I hope this is clearer. This has been Exodus chapter 34. That's the end of this chapter. I want to thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day. May the Lord bless you and keep you safe.
And remember, God loves you.